Good morning, good morning, and welcome to the inaugural session of Leading Well. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. We have a great lineup for you this morning of Dorothy Carter, who is Assistant Professor of Psychology, and uh, we'll hear about a lot of her work with NASA. Uh, she's at, uh, currently at University of Georgia, and we also have with us Natalie Guevara, who is a uh, program lead of strategic planning at, at NASA. And so we're gonna be hearing some insights from them today. We look forward to jumping in. We're gonna have a conversational uh, kind of tone to what, where we go, so we're gonna jump around. We're gonna uh, ask some personal questions and uh, we're gonna see where it goes. We're so glad that you are here and we look forward to you participating as well. So there's a few cases uh, and a few uh, different sections we're gonna ask you to submit questions. We have a number of questions that uh, some of you have submitted even ahead of time, so thank you for that. I just want to ask a question as we get started here. Uh, how many of you have, this is the first time you've ever uh, interacted with the Center for Leadership at FIU? Just write it, write it in the chat box. Awesome, thank you, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And how many of you uh, are, have been, have attended one of our lectures, been to one of our programs, or familiar with what we do. Oh, awesome. So great to see all these first events, first times, and, and uh, many of you also I know who are uh, students, our faculty, our staff, our people who somehow are, have engaged with the center over the years. It's awesome. We're, we're so glad that you're here today. So let me, um, uh, let me jump right in to some of the questions uh, or some of the, the topics that we want to talk about here this morning. And, and I'll start with you, Dorothy. Can you just tell us, just give us a little overview of, of, of yourself and then we can take it from there. So, so how did you end up here today is what I'm asking. Sure. Yeah. And first of all, thank you so much, Nathan, for inviting me and Natalie to participate in this webinar. Um, Nathan and I go back a long ways. We've, we've known each other for several years. Natalie, uh, we are just meeting virtually this week, um, but I'm so excited to hear about the, the leadership development efforts she's got going on at Kennedy Center. Um, so as Nathan mentioned, I'm an assistant professor at the University of Georgia in the Industrial Organizational Psychology program here. And so uh, many of you might be aware of IO psychology in general, but for those of you who are not, it's essentially the study of people at, in the workplace, so applying psychological principles to uh, people working together. My research specifically is focused on uh, leadership, leadership development, uh, teamwork, and large-scale collaboration. So I'm probably going to use this term a couple of times throughout the webinar. Uh, a lot of times I study what's called a multi-team system. So that's a big system of multiple teams working together. And the reason why I'm interested in those topics, uh, multi-team systems especially, is that a lot of the, the challenges we're facing today as humanity, as members of the human race, uh, involve large-scale collaboration. So big groups of people working together to solve kind of grand challenge issues. That's great, and, I, and we're going we're gonna to come back to that. So for those of you, when, okay. so keep that in your mind around, for those of you who are watching this around, that uh, big, grand, large challenges that are really difficult to solve because it, it has some pretty significant implications for leadership and a multi-team system. So um, thank you. And 
you and so before I go to Natalie, let me ask you a quick question. So can you tell us a little bit about your like tell us one fun fact about uh, uh, about you and I, I can think of one about your about your previous experience. You, you have a this isn't your first job. No. Um, so I, I know what you're hinting at. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> this is my second career. My first career, uh, I was 100% in to be a professional ballet dancer at one point in my life. And even um, finished high school via correspondence courses. So I attend a full-time professional training program um, in Texas. And then I took a job, a couple of jobs as a professional ballet dancer. Uh, before returning to college a little bit later in my 20s and then um, just fell in love with school which was a kind of uh, opposite of what I, my, my original trajectory was all about That's uh, it, yeah wow. talk about reinventing yourself and like taking <laughs> so for those of you who may find yourself in a situation where you don't know what the next thing for you is right now what a great story to, to I mean to just keep in the back of your mind, right? To shift from something that seems so, uh, so different. And I'll bet, I'll bet there's some, probably some uh, things that you learned along the way that actually some skills that might help you even, I'll, I'll bet translate it uh, well, into your, in your current role, even though you, uh, even though it might not seem like it, but uh, wow, cool, right? So uh, let me jump over to uh, Natalie real quick. So thank you, Dr. Carter. Um, Dr. Guevara, we also go way back. So you, you two, this is the first time, as you mentioned, Dorothy, the first time that uh, you, you have met Natalie, um, but I have known both of you probably for almost about the same amount of time, for about, about 15 years, actually. Uh, so welcome, Dr. Guevara. Can you tell us, tell us a little bit about your story, how you ended up here today? Yeah, absolutely. So... Thank you for inviting us. Same thing, everything uh, uh, you know, Dr. Carter said. Excited to share with you guys. But yeah, I think uh, Nathan, you and I uh, met when I was probably in my early 20s. I was coming back from a study abroad from Spain and it was an interesting time. But I, I came back from that study abroad having decided that I wanted to do a PhD in IL. It was kind of those things where I before the, that trip, I was like, what do I do? Like, there are lots of things that I want to do. I was doing business at that time, but I took one psychology class and I loved it. And I was like, what could I do that kind of intercepts both? And um, so I came back and met Nathan and he was doing lots of research on leadership and that caught my attention. Um, and, you know, we started working together. I, I started working on your lab and learned a ton in terms of research. I had no idea what research or anything was. So it was such a great experience, you know, to apply a lot of what I had learned, um, right, in the classroom to actually doing it and being a researcher. And, and Natalie, if I could just give a shout out to you, you were the hardest working undergraduate research assistant. You, I, I mean, you know, one time she called me to apologize that she couldn't make a meeting because she was in the hospital. And so <laughs> I, I hope it's okay that I shared, I mean, you know, okay. talk about dedication. I'm like, well, I think, you know, I, my I husband think, would agree. I think there are yeah, other he would do that. That are, that are, that are more important at, uh, uh, at the time, but wow. Talk about, talk about dedication. And then you went on to do your PhD, uh, out at, in Detroit. Correct. Wayne State University. Yeah. So stayed in that area of leadership development and 
um, I did gender roles and cultural differences. That was mostly my thesis and uh, dissertation. So lots of fun. And then I, uh, I did applied research, which I liked with Denison Consulting for a while. But then I was like, I, I, I really like to apply everything I'm researching on, you know, and so that, I think that was the transition for me from going, you know, more of a researchy route to like, now let's work with leaders and let's see how these concepts get applied and it looks like in real life. So, so what does that look like in your current role now uh, at, at NASA? Because you're doing some work, a lot of it intersects with leadership and leadership development and particularly at Kennedy. So can you give us kind of a lay of the land of what you do? And, you know, so you're not, NASA is divided up into, you know, there's, there's different regions and they don't always interact with each other, right? So you're at Kennedy which uh, for those of you in Florida, of course, uh, know that uh, is in Florida. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so there are 10 NASA centers and um, now we're definitely, um, you know, pulling to being one, one NASA, right? Uh, but it, there's definitely different cultures for each of the centers. And, um, you know, at Kennedy, we had in the past few years really taken um, the opportunity to focus on leadership and what the leadership culture of the organization ought to look like. And, and so, you know, we, we started a lot of the conversations by saying, well, I mean, you know, you, you will develop people and you will develop people to be some or, or to be some kind of leader. How about being intentional in uh, developing, you know, what we want leaders to value. And, and so you got to be part of that transition Yep. As well. How exciting is that? So the so you've been really at the ground level helping Kennedy, and I think this is amazing, helping Kennedy Space Center rethink how they think about leadership development, right? Yep. Correct. Wow. Yeah, so it's been really cool kind of seeing leaders at the beginning be like, Well, we have to launch a rocket. Like we don't have a lot of time to think about like our values and like, you know, what is the leadership strategy? And so, you know, from my position, it was really cool kind of creating the case, getting down to talking about these things in a way that's relatable to them and not the academic jargony, you know, uh, theory of it. So lo lots of lessons learned for sure in that transition. Um, but now, yeah, I, so in my role, I think, you know, you asked that at the beginning and it was, I, I wear multiple, you know, sometimes we're doing informal coaching. Sometimes it's like being more of a project manager. They want to, you know, implement this big thing. And so how do we get it done? Um, and so it looks sometimes is, to be honest, if we are having a, an executive offsite, I got to go and figure out the hotel stuff, you know, <laughs> that's, you just wear multiple hats to make it happen. Um, so yeah, but so there are various and different, different things. Was it hard to, um, get people to realize the, the criticality of leadership or leadership development? Like, it, it, I, I think what you said, there was something really interesting there. Like, you know, we got to launch a rocket. We don't have time for this. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, how do you get people to recognize like, no, no, in order to launch the rocket, this is what you need to do. Like, what does that, what does that look like? How did you, how, how have you been able to be successful at that? So I think the main thing was knowing, and at the time I was in HR, so it was knowing that it couldn't be an HR thing. Like we were seeing the disconnect. We were like, this is not our, almost our job to, you know, bring it to everybody, everybody's attention. It, it has to come within the leadership team. And so it was just a matter of having the conversations with the right people at the top. 
right? And so we found a really strong champion, um, Kelvin, Kelvin Manning, he's awesome. Um, but he got Shout it. Out to Calvin. Shout out to Calvin. <laughs> he's, he's amazing. And, you know, he got the vision. And I think after that, we were like, okay, let's put together what we call a champion team for this, this initiative. And it was like seven executives, seven or eight, seven of them, seven executives. And they're, you know, kind of that, that think tank for, for any leadership development leader. We call it leadership for the future. That's our, our, our logo, if you will. Um, but yeah, then, you know, after that is just, Kind of helping them um, with the set up a process or a framework to have these conversations and to keep moving the needle. Um, so my role is a little bit different from what it was at the beginning, which is always fun, kind of adapting to what they need. Thank yeah, thank you for thank you for that, Natalie. I, I think uh, a great litmus test for those of you who are thinking about working for an organization and you want to know how much they value their people. Um, and this isn't perfect, but here's a good rule of rule of thumb look to see who the top HR person reports to. Uh, if, if the top HR person, if the chief HR officer, or it might not even be called that, reports into the finance person, or to, it's a signal that they actually don't value their people. It's highly unlikely because, uh, you know, do they have a seat at the table and are they really, it can't be something that's just separate that's part of HR, but actually needs to be integrated into the core of the business. That's really the only way this can be done well. So if you want to get a sense of what it might look like to work and how they, how organizations value their people, um, might be something to just take a look at when you're, uh, when you're thinking about that. Particularly important for those of you who are actually in HR to understand what role, what role you might have, but uh, for anyone as well. So I want to uh, switch over uh, to Dr. Carter and uh, maybe have her tell us a little bit about some of the work that she's doing that, uh, that relates to this idea of multi-team systems. So we're using this word here that uh, uh, sounds a little bit crazy, but it, it turns out to be really important. Can you unpack that for us and, and tell us what that means in the context of leadership and leadership uh, for some of these long-term missions that you're working on with some of your grants with NASA? Sure, but I have a, a quick question for Natalie, if you don't mind. Um, awesome. I was really interested in what you just said. You know, it sounded like you really needed to kind of work on making sure the organization had some buy-in. And I'm maybe asking this a little bit selfishly because I might be struggling with the same thing across various projects. Um, but you identified this person, Kelvin, who was incredibly beneficial to you. I'm just curious how you identified that person, if that's... Yeah, so I worked in partnership with my HR director, right? And we were like just brainstorming, what could this look like, right? And she obviously knows her superiors and her peers. And so it was more of that back and forth. And to be honest, like the first time I remember we talked to Kelvin, he was like, well, we're doing a lot of leadership. Like NASA throws a lot of money to leadership development, like, and it's, it's, it's awesome how much they invest in their, in their people. And so he's like, we already, we are, we already have a, a way to develop leaders and so the conversation was like well yeah and like think about it like we can't just build a rocket and hope to launch it somewhere like you need to have a destination so it's the same thing like let's be intentional about the culture that we are you know trying to create and how we could get there and so i think those conversations it was little and so you know the first meeting wasn't like yeah let's go do it it took some some time but i think he got it once we created the the full picture and then he be kind of came with the voice of your project. Absolutely. Great. Yeah, so to get back to Nathan's question, um, Shannon, I don't know if you're able to show 
this image that's from a paper my graduate students and colleagues at Clemson and NASA and I published together recently. Uh, but this is just an image that's hopefully going to give you a little bit of a sense of like what a multi-team system kind of could look like in the context of NASA specifically. Uh, so a multi-team system is just a, a system that's bound together by some sort of big challenge, some sort of big goal. And but simultaneously, the, there's distinguishable teams that are pursuing their own proximal objectives. Sometimes those proximal objectives feed into the big picture. But so right here we see uh, a front room team at Mission Control in Houston, Texas. And we might have a flight director who's communicating directly with the spaceflight crew out on the ISS or hopefully, you know, our, our project is not about current spaceflight operations. It's about future spaceflight operations to long duration missions to potentially Mars, you know, and beyond. Uh, okay, so you're, I want people to get that. So you're working on some of these big issues that are, that are unique to, but actually apply not just to, but like a Mars mission or something like that, if that were to come. So, okay, so if you guys want to, uh, we just, we just need to congratulate both Dr. Guevara and Carter. I mean, talk about doing amazing stuff, right? Uh, fantastic. Okay. Thank uh, you. Go ahead. Just had to, just had to give you, just had to give you a, a, a giant clap. Well, so NASA as an organization, in my opinion, is pretty amazing. So uh, what they do is, uh, you know, at least my experience with them is um, when they have a big grand goal, like we'd like to send a team of humans to Mars someday, someday soon, right? Um, they start working backwards and thinking about all of the things that could go wrong on the way to that objective. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they identified is what's called the team risk or the risk of like behavioral decrements due to failures and collaboration and coordination, potentially leadership, um, just human error related to collaboration. And uh, the project that I have with uh, my colleagues and I have with NASA right now is to help facilitate collaboration across these big systems of multiple teams that will be involved in long duration missions. So as we see here, we've So got, you're not just talking about the people in the capsule. Tell us what, like, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah, so we're not just talking about the people in the capsule. We certainly know that there needs to be effective teamwork within that capsule, but also the way that crew is gonna communicate with the, the human teams on Earth and how those human teams on Earth are gonna communicate with each other. So as you see here, we've got the front room team. They're communicating directly with the crew but also they're relying on a variety of teams in the back room that are maybe from different disciplines, have different priorities and norms. And, um, you know, right now their, their system functions very effectively to do their current mission. But what we're doing right now is doing some interviews and observational studies, especially hopefully with the mission control to understand how we want to project how things might need to, to adapt in the future. And in prepping for this call, we were talking a little bit about sort of this idea of adapting to changing circumstances. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what you've observed in your work with, with NASA? Because I think it, there's some really interesting implications for leadership. So um, actually the publication that this, this image is coming from, it's Pendergraft et al. Uh, in Frontiers in Psychology, is doing a little bit of a historical deep dive into the history of mission control. And we find that across all eras of spaceflight, whether it's you know, initial forays into space uh, required a lot of technical adaptation. Um, and then a second era that was more scientific exploration in space. And then a third era, which is like habit, long-term habitation on the ISS. 
uh, NASA's mission control multi-team systems or human spaceflight multi-team systems have adapted incredibly successfully. And what I think Nathan's maybe discussing is uh, recently we got the opportunity to do a pilot study to see the viability of observing um, the, the simulations that the mission control systems do uh, just to prepare their folks for you know eventual on console operations and ordinarily these are all in-person simulations everybody's in the same physical location uh, but right now uh, that's a little bit difficult with the pandemic situation for everyone to be really physically close and working together so they've switched a lot of their operations to using um, Microsoft Teams and a lot of this is done virtually now. We had the opportunity to observe, uh, do a pilot pilot study research um, session with the on you know, within the simulation, but just virtually via Microsoft Teams. And our subject matter expert that we were talking to there says, you know, I gave my people um, the task to figure this out, and this is what we do. We adapt, and we, you know, they've done a fantastic job continuing operations even in the face of these current challenges and I, I think so some of our and um, some of our when we when we were sort of preparing for this uh, and uh, Natalie and, and you and I Dorothy uh, the three of us were sort of um, thinking about and musing about this idea that when you have a mission when you know what the mission is you can adapt to it right so a lot of teams and a lot of organizations right now are probably struggling with they're not sure what their mission is or they're, they're sort of floundering a little bit and I think boy does that ever have implications for leadership right because I you know you have to know where you're going right and and sometimes that is done by a leader and sometimes that actually needs to be done by leadership and we need to make that distinction between a leader and leadership because leadership sometimes can be enacted by a whole set of people not just one person and and needs to be dispersed or a property of the network and we need to be thinking a little bit differently about leadership and how teams can enact leadership and i think you know some of your research actually addresses that right so you 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 have a fantastic paper on sort of network approaches to leadership i mean what like what what does this look like are you suggesting that leadership that we need to think differently about leading and leadership yeah and i I see this question pop up here in the chat from Marlena. Um, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, what is the secret for that adaptation? Hits the nail on the head in terms of that. I think that's the magic question here. Um, so Nathan brought up just now that a lot of my research views leadership as a network um, of formal or informal influence. That's coming out of the fact that I study teams and big systems of people. Um, in that big system of people that we just showed you an image of, at NASA, certainly there are formal authority structures in that that make a big difference about who's influencing whom. But simultaneously, there are people who are influencing the direction of that system informally. And so kind of the whole, in order for the whole system to work, many people need to be influencing each other simultaneously or over time, right? And I think that becomes even more critical to think about in a situation where the system needs to adapt quickly because sometimes the person who has that formal authority doesn't have a grasp on the entire big picture they can't know everything because you can't right you just can't know it all right 
And so it's important sometimes, especially in a situation where you need to problem solve quickly in the face of uh, you know, a challenge from the external environment that leaders engage people at low, like formal leaders engage people at lower levels in decision-making. Uh, also it helps with buy-in when we go in a different direction. Yeah, so, so if, we, if we only emphasize sort of this idea that we need to think about training leaders and not thinking about leadership as a system, we're probably not taking advantage of how we can adapt and, and think about this. In other words, maybe the thing that's, uh, so I'm gonna take this sort of in a slightly different direction, maybe the thing for, for those of, for all of us that's inhibiting our ability to lead or our willingness to lead is this idea that we need to be a certain type of person to lead or we need to be a hero, right? And I think, uh, I just, I'm, I'm boy, I, I, I love then, that and I'm passionate about that. So Natalie, let me, sw let me uh, switch over to you. Yeah. What do, so, you, what do you have to say? I think this is su such a great topic. And in, you know, in that, in that question that um, Marlena asked, I think it really boils down whether you're looking at a leader or like an individual contributor, right? An influencer. It's ultimately about the mindset, right? Either you have a positive, positive mental attitude, right? Not like a Pollyanna type of, of, of view, but a real, hey, this is the challenge and I am gonna figure it out. You know, like we'll get, get through this together. I think the, the organizations that I'm seeing adapt faster and perform mm -hmm. faster are the ones that one, have that leader that are, that's like not hang up on the past and how it would be great if we could be in person and talking about this, but blah, 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 you know, like that sets the tone That's it's not very inspirational and it doesn't allow people to just show up in their best. Um, yeah, show up on, on their best, I guess. Um, but I think, so part of it is that the top leader creating that space for um, being inspired and whatnot. And then for us, right, to take personal responsibility on what our mindset is as well, right? How much can I contribute and help the team move forward and the organization move forward rather than the water, water cooler talk? And even, even though there's not, no water cooler, like you can still be chatting and being like, oh my God, this is so hard. And yeah, right. And so I think it's being cognizant of where our thoughts are and how we can be proactively thinking about the solution and moving things forward rather than focused on, on the past, I guess. What, um, and can you, uh, in, in, so some of the work that you do is actually working with leaders to help them to, to come alongside them and partner them. So we call, you know, we think about this as coaching, right? But it's not you as the expert, let me tell you what you need to do. I think it's one of the things that people get wrong when they think about coaching. It's, it's that coaches are really good at asking questions and help you work through a process for you to figure out what it is, right? So, so it's, uh, you know, and we, we think about our programs at the Center for Leadership the same way. We say, look, we don't have all the answers. We're not going to tell you what you, need, what you need to do, but we're really good at asking questions. And we have some ideas, but it's up to you to figure out what that looks like. Can you, can you talk a little bit about some of your experience and how you've um, helped uh, a leader maybe develop without, of course, you know, sharing anything that, uh, you know, that, that, that's confidential? Like, what, what does that look like, or how have you seen them grow it? Like, that's exciting stuff, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I think in my role, I can think about it in two different ways, formal coaching engagement, and then informal coaching. And so I do way more now 
informal coaching rather rather than formal coaching engagements. I think with a, a formal coaching engagement, it's easier just because the person is seeking it. They want to grow. They want to be in this process. They want to think. They want to you know go in and 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 they they want you know that that um help right and their goals lead that right and so that that's one type um or one way to help them the other way i think formal coaching is definitely harder because you almost you see the blind spots right because i'm i'm talking to the workforce i'm talking to maybe their direct report supervisors and i'm talking to them and it's like i can see the blind spots but i can go i cannot go into the conversation saying okay this is what you have to fix because then there's going to be all these defenses that are going to come up and you know when we feel defensive and about somebody telling us how we're wrong it's not going to be effective and so, so that that also applies in any relationship right yes. <laughs> as we know <laughs> that is very true let me tell yes. you what you need to fix usually doesn't work right <laughs> no, yeah significant other or kids, even worse with kids, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, that is, that is a good analogy, right? Like, how do you start having meaningful conversations that make them think? And ultimately, to be honest, this is something I'm still working on, is how to let go of my expectations of how it should look like mm -hmm. and let them develop the path. Wow. It may be a that's better powerful. path that, that's however their brain is making those connections, that's going to ultimately work better for them than whatever I thought the answer should look like. Wow. And so it's, it's really continually as a coach, right? Or as a, and, and you don't have to be a certified coach or anything to do this, right? As a supervisor, this is super powerful to learn how to do but it's kind of constantly checking whatever is going on here, kind of that script and like really listen and being in the conversation with the person. I think this is, this is a great segue um, to a question that was submitted ahead of time by one of the, one of the folks on the webcast here. And they wanted to ask about uh, imposter syndrome. Uh, this idea of, so for those of you who aren't familiar with imposter syndrome, uh, you know, you, you've arrived into a position and you feel like I'm, I'm the only one or, or how did I get here? There's a little bit about how did I get here? And uh, do people know, do they see me as an imposter? Because I certainly feel like one. And so we, we attribute often ourselves that we are the imposter and that other people are not somehow. Can, can you both, I think this would be a question I'd love to hear both, how you both address this. I mean, and, you know, because I'm thinking of, you know, what does this look like the first time you walk into an office of a 55-year-old man, you know, who looks at you and says, you know, what do you know? Great question, first of all. Um, as we were joking with, about earlier, Nathan, some of us might still be figuring out how to deal with imposter syndrome. A absolutely, um, absolutely. <laughs> but I think, I mean, I don't know if this is a real answer, but fake it till you make it. You know, this is really a situation where you do need to, especially as a woman, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm sure that men also experience this, but especially as a woman, you need to at least come across as to some degree assertive and know what you're talking about. Um, also, you need to strike the right balance of not being overly assertive. But I think it gets back to this conversation where you, you know, I, I see why you're bringing it up right now that a lot of us that work directly with organizations, um, you need to be confident about what you know, but also humble about what you don't know and understanding that, you know, you're here to learn, you're here to help as much as you can. 
Um, you know, I have a, a project with my colleague, Kristen Colin Lester, who's at the University of Houston right now. Yeah, yeah. What we do in that project is we go in and we diagnose the system of collaboration in, in the upper echelons of organizations, so the top management team and the middle managers who report directly to the top leaders. And we, you know, we provide them with feedback about, we give them a, a personalized debrief report as part of our research and explain, here's what we see. But we say, you know, we of course don't, we are not the experts of your organization. We'd like to explain yeah. this to you and see what your thoughts are. What is, the, what thoughts does this, does this bring up for you, right? So in it's, that it's way- a hugely, yeah. um, It's a hugely disarming thing to walk into, uh, you know, when uh, I've found when, when someone is sort of questioning your credibility sort of as you're coming in as an outsider is to say, look, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here the end. I'm not an expert in your organization. That immediately takes sort of this uh, threateningness of, and I think that goes for anyone, regardless of whether you're young or if you just, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, you sort of have that imposter syndrome. But let me throw that question. Oh, thank you. I, there, what a great quote in there, right? Be confident in what you know and be humble about what you don't. So let me throw this, that question over to Natalie, uh, an imposter syndrome question. Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me personally, and again, I'm working with a lot of baby boomers, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not sitting with many people my age, especially in leadership, right? So that's something, um, I think at the beginning, I really made the decision, hey, you know, one, I think going into or thinking about th that confidence, right? I don't need to know what, um, you know, how Dorothy, you were saying, like, I don't need to know the content, but I do know the process that can help. And so going into with that mindset of like, I, I want to help you perform for your organization to perform better. It's not about me telling you what to do, but how about checking out this process, right? What do you, what do you think about what would work? What wouldn't, what, you know, is not going to work. And I think empowering them to create the experience rather than just coming in with like, okay, this is what we need to do. And I think for me, it's a little bit different because I'm in the organization. Mm -hmm. I feel like if I were an outsider, that would be totally, totally different. Um, and so I think that there is that level of respect of, you know, I, I did get a doctorate degree, so it wasn't just because I didn't, right? It, just for fun. <laughs> I mean, I love what I do. But there, there's some knowledge that I can bring to the table. Yeah, um, so I think knowing that before going into, into the conversation is really important. Um, that, you know, you've gone and you don't need to have a doctorate, right? Like your experience is huge. <laughs> However, many years you've been working in the field, that's absolutely, they, you've seen more examples of different types of people doing whatever you're trying to help them do than they have, just because that's not their lens may, may not be. And that's why you're brought up, you know, you're, um, being brought in. Um, and so I think that's the thing, the other, the other, the other thing for me was, I know that you know, self-fulfilling prophecies work. So if I go in there feeling nervous and all of this, they're going to feed off my energy and that's not going to set me up well, right? So whatever I had to do, talk to myself, talk to myself in the mirror, especially at the beginning, you know, do power poses. I don't know if you guys have seen those videos, but like those are really important. And I think ultimately, once you break that initial, like, what are you doing? Who are you? And you start building the credibility. It's just about, hey, I'm a person. I, I, I see you kind of a thing. And I, I'm here to, to just support you and help. 
um, I think that that started helping that that imposter syndrome and then acknowledging that th there's this voice right and okay thank you but I'm still gonna have this conversation um, recreating yourself in it I think has been very helpful that's that's fantastic I don't know if either of you saw uh, um, I think it was a study with Russ Johnson uh, around uh, um, helping and how uh, helping behavior so this is sort of I want to just take a side detour just for a second here and how uh, over helping for women is really uh, one way to be to lose credibility at work right because then you're put into the oh you're the helpful woman role uh, and not the competent uh, you know it doesn't mean don't help but don't be the first one to volunteer to always jump in and help uh, which can sort of put you in a box uncompetent. I wanted to just throw that idea out there because I saw that study recently and I was like, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I just wanted to get your thoughts, both of your thoughts on that. I think, you know, for me, it was more about performance, right? I want to help you perform. Ultimately, you have a rocket to launch. Ultimately, you have a team of engineers that you need to whatever, right? Shift their mindset on whatnot. And I've always... Mm -hmm. You know, in, in my initial conversations is, is more about what are what are your results? And to be honest, when I, I've asked more questions, especially when I'm meeting a new leader, right? Like it's more about asking questions and asking good questions. So preparing that mm -hmm. in the forefront. I yeah. think after the first couple of questions when they're like, oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Bam. Immediately, I added value from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah. maybe, maybe, kind of maybe like, I should listen to this person. Maybe, maybe there's something they can, uh, they could, yeah. And those first few moments turn out to be really important, don't they? For sure. Wow, cool. Dorothy, what uh, do you have any? What if, just as we're talking here, what are you thinking? What are you? What do you want to share with us? Well, I certainly agree with the the sentiment from that article. Um, again, this this comes up to. As a, as a female professional, you certainly need to strike this right balance between assertively, you know, setting your boundaries and saying, this is what I'm focused on achieving and, you know, helping my team to achieve and that sort of thing. And I think a lot of times, uh, you know, I've certainly experienced this, that people will assume that, you know, it just seems like people maybe will ask for additional help from female colleagues more so than uh, from male colleagues, like, oh, do this IRB, plan this event, you know, et cetera. That if those things are actually important to you and, you know, to what you're trying to accomplish in the workplace, to what your job really is, then by all means, you know, volunteer and do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't just kind of take it on just because you feel the expectation being put on you. Yeah, and I, I think, boy, is that ever up to men to be partners in this? Because I think uh, it's critical that if you as a guy, if you are uh, leading or if you're, you're seeing this, you have to be really sensitive to the fact that we might be doing this inadvertently. Uh, and it's, it's really important. And, it can, it can, and if you see it happening, if you can, uh, if you can sort of jump in and help again uh, as well and, and, and avoid that from happening because, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's certainly an important way to, to think about how we can have a better and get, get the most out of our team. Uh, and, uh, and people have the best opportunity. Now, I want to, um, uh, whether it, it, you knew that there was a question coming, but you didn't know <laughs> it was tied to the sneaky, snacky squirrel game. Awesome. So I'm going to spin this spinner, and you will have a question asked to each of you based on what the um, 
sneaky, snacky squirrel lands on. There is, uh, there's one that actually has a double question. We'll see if you land on this. I'm gonna go to Natalie first. Uh, I'm gonna spin this here. And uh, you ended up on yellow. Okay. So yellow for you. Uh, you're lucky as, as a question be, or, or um, it, it's, it's making me hungry thinking about what this question is. And so you used to live in Miami. You lived in Miami for a while. Then you lived in, uh, in Detroit and now you live in the Orlando area. What, um, what do you miss? What's something you miss about Miami food or something else that, that you love when you have a chance to come down here that you, you love to take part in? Yeah. So I'm originally from Colombia and I came to the U.S. when I was 15. And so, you know, obviously deep roots there. And so I think uh, now Miami has so many Colombian options of food. <laughs> and Orlando does too, but definitely not as much um, as Miami. So I miss having, you know, just driving down the street and being able to pull up to, you know, get to a Colombian bakery and get like fun treats or a restaurant, you know, and not having to drive lots, like a long distance to be able to, to <laughs> definitely miss that. There's a great Colombian restaurant near FIU that I always used to go to my first few years that I my think colleague we went and I there did. once. I think we, we did go there. Yes, we did go there. Yes, we did go there. I think we did. Yeah, we did. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now, Dorothy, now, now it is your turn. Oh, so you got the one, the one acorn. Okay. And your question is, what is one thing you've learned to do or relearned to do since we've been in quarantine? Honestly, this goes back to the um, question about how I got what my long-term trajectory was. So if you remember, Nathan had me bring up the fact that prior to attending college, I uh, worked for a short time as a professional ballet dancer. In quarantine, I have revisited those skills because my, wow. because my six-year-old niece had been taking ballet classes and was really bummed that they were all canceled. So we've been doing Zoom ballet classes together every Saturday. So fun. For those of you still on the chat, tell us something that you've been doing that, uh, that a skill you've learned or something you've revisited since you've been in quarantine. We'd, we would love to hear about it. Um, uh, yeah. Dr. Guevara, I would, uh, I see a number of really great with gardening, yoga, I, gardening too. I, man, it's, I, I, I've, uh, I've certainly been trying to enjoy that as much as I can. Uh, so thank you for those, uh, thank you for all those responses. Um, Dr. Guevara, can you share with us a little bit about some upcoming really exciting news that's happening, uh, that's happening at the Kennedy Space Center? Absolutely. So if you guys are not aware, we are actually launching for the first time since 2011, um, astronauts from U.S. soil. So that is very exciting. When the shuttle program closed in 2011, we have been uh, pretty much catching taxi uh, drives, I guess, from Russia to the International Space Station. And uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, on the 27th, we will be launching our next crew. So that is you know, something for all of us to be very proud of. It's a country accomplishment for sure. And um, I would encourage you guys, yeah, to be uh, connected to that. I'm sure it's going to be lots of stuff in the news. And 
I know we're gonna, um, actually we posted it on the um, chat, but if you want to, um, you know, be part of uh, virtual tours and kind of learning more about the history um, of what we're doing and what the mission is and the astronauts and all of that, the link is on the chat and I think we're gonna be sending it out in, yeah. via email. So you can just- I think Shannon just posted it, Greg. So the, for those of you who wanna see more and be engaged with this, wow, what a great opportunity. And I know some people are trying to, some people have also submitted questions. How, how can I learn more about opportunities at NASA? What, uh, where would you point them? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you're a U.S. citizen, uh, you can go to the uh, usajobs.gov. Uh, great, great website. And then all, the, all, all of the opportunities are funneled through there. So you can create a profile and just, um, you know, match whatever, remark whatever your preferences are in terms of location and field and all of that. If you're a student, there are lots of opportunities uh, on that. I think I saw a question about diversity and increasing um, diversity, uh, um, ethnicity wise and maybe gender wise. And I think um, NASA is doing an awesome job promoting STEM education, all, you know, from pre-K to college. So check out those programs. A lot of that is, again, in USA Jobs. Feel free to look me up on LinkedIn and I can connect you. LinkedIn also, the NASA, NASA page for LinkedIn would post uh, opportunities there as well. Parting, parting thoughts from Dr. Carter. What do, you, uh, what do you want us to be thinking about here as it relates to leading or uh, you know, how we need to be thinking about teams differently? Give us, give us your, your 20 second take. Sure, I saw somebody bring up this question of you know, what is the, how do we deal with the pandemic? How do we adapt to that specifically? And I think that's what's on everybody's mind right now. Um, my, potentially my advice about imposter syndrome, about like being confident in what you know and humble in what, what you don't, could really very much apply, not just to clients you're working with, but also the teams that you're leading, is that you, again, we don't have all of the right that's answers great. as ourselves, be humble that's and involved in all of That's great. And Dr. Guevara, parting thoughts. Um, I think my parting thoughts are along the lines of what we were talking before with the positive, positive mental attitude and, and mindset. I think for our families, for our communities, for our country, we just you know, need to rise above it, right? And focus on what's possible and not what, what's lacking. Um, and so I would just say, make sure that you capture those thoughts and don't dwell on random things. Make sure it's intentional. If those are the thoughts you are gonna wanna be thinking, make sure that you know what those are rather than what the news say or whatever, right? Whatever, it's just polluting, be intentional in what you're thinking. And um, yeah, I think this is a great opportunity too to work on yourself, right? There's never been a time where we're kind of stuck at home. So uh, work on you know, self-development stuff. I think that's, that's a, a good investment of time. Awesome, good to see you, my friends. There you have it from two fantastic leaders themselves who are helping NASA involved heavily in individuals and helping uh, at NASA and helping teams think through complex issues and what that looks for leadership. Thank you so much for your time today. I, I, I would love to have you back. And, love to keep this conversation going and uh, really this is this has been fantastic for those of you who are interested in engaging in, with us again in two weeks from today we will have dr. Michael Woody Woodward will be with us and he is the uh, head of the executive coaching program at NYU he's also a friend of the center and been affiliated with the center uh, for for many years and actually has his PhD in uh, from FIU. So 
you know, we like to keep it, we like to keep it in the family. There's so many amazing connections we have with this fantastic university. Thank you both for your time, Dr. Carter and Dr. Guevara. We really yeah. appreciate it. Some fantastic, fantastic quotes in there. I think we're going to work on getting those up in some, in some kind of meme, meme format as well. So Thank, Thank you for the invitation. This is awesome. The Center for Leadership, you guys are doing a great job, you know, for FIU and uh, beyond. So thank you for the invitation. Agreed. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Thank you all. And thank you all for, for joining our webcast. We look forward to seeing you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.